Welcome back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, where we read a comic book from the yesteryear of publishing comics. Uh, you can hear us every other Sunday on the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast feed. And you can pick that up on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, and by Bat Radio. Oh, there it is. You can hear it ringing already. Uh, this The issue we're doing today was requested by the uh, estimable... Matches Balone, if that is his real name, a huge, hmm. a huge supporter of comics and of uh, of us and of the Weird Science site and just a whole lot of things. Good guy to know, folks. So absolutely, uh, if you, he's not on your Twitter feed, go find him. He's uh, a good guy to follow. Absolutely. Uh, the book he wanted to do, actually, he wanted to really do the entire Grant Morrison run. Of Batman, basically. We get a lot of requests like this. You know, can you do, yes. you know, uh, 50 comics? Yeah, sure, no problem. Uh, <laughs> so we, we are going to go through that, but we're going we're gonna, to, uh, you know, scrutinize Batman number 681, cover date December 2008, writer Grant Morrison, penciler Tony S. Daniel, inked by Sandu Florea, colorist was Guy Major, cover price $3.99, and the on-sale date was November 26, 2008. Now, there's a lot to unpack in this run. Number uh, 681, that doesn't sound important. What the, you know, yeah, what the, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot here to get into, and we are going to yes. get into it as best we can, but as we are known to do, mm-hmm. first we're going to do some creator bios, and uh, there's a little bit out there about this fella, Grant Morrison, it turns out, so. I think if, so. See if you find it interesting. Uh, he was born in 1960 in Scotland. His first published works were Gideon Stargrave strips for Near Myths in 1978, when he was about 17. Uh, Near Myths was one of the first British alternative comics, really almost an underground comic from the looks of it, and it ran for five issues. Uh, He produced a weekly comic strip, Captain Clyde, who was an unemployed superhero based in Glasgow for local newspaper The The Govan Press. And he also wrote various issues of DC Thompson's Starblazer. DC Star Thompson is a huge media conglomerate in the UK, uh, mostly with publishing and television, uh, some films, some everything. They handle the Dundee Courier, uh, the Evening Telegraph, the Sunday Post, Ur Wooly, the Bruins, the Beano, the Dandy, and a comic called Commando, which is their most, which was their most popular and was hugely popular in the 80s. Uh, it's a pretty violent war comic. And Starblazer, which Grant Morrison wrote, was essentially the sci-fi version of Commando. Yeah, and a lot of what he did, he uh, also drew. Yeah. Was, uh, so, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty crazy to see. I remember seeing an ad, not an ad, a, a clipping from a newspaper where it was like, uh, it's like, handy with a pencil? That's our Grant. Yeah, he's not horrible with... Uh... Drawing. No, he's, he's he's got composition down for sure. I I don't think I've ever seen anything detailed that he's drawn. Uh, a lot thing. of it is uh like his thumbnails are and his thumbnails look great. <laughs> yeah, he's but he's definitely able to say he's a better writer. Than, well, than yes, I think we can safely <laughs> say that. Uh, now, he began his young life uh, touring with the with his own band called the Mixes. Uh, he submitted some writing. Uh, in uh, 1982, he submitted a pitch for a Justice League of America New God story to DC, which was rejected or probably ignored. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> after that, uh, it did his, did he did as his forebears. He wrote for uh, Wizard and or Warrior in 2000 AD. Um, wrote stories for Doctor Who magazine, including a collaboration with uh, then teenage Brian Hitch, who we know from. Uh, you know, his uh, actually, he would team up with with him again later on on JLA. Yeah, he would. 
And, yeah, and yeah. Didn't he, did he write authority when Hitch was on it, or was that someone else? I think that was Miller. Oh, okay. Miller. All right. Yeah. All right. Another another Scott. I knew it was a yes. Scott somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they all look the same. Um, <laughs> uh, he had a run on uh, the Zoid strips uh, for Spider-Man and the Zoids. Um, and these are those giant uh, Japanese robots. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know what the comic was about <laughs> other than that. I don't think it was. I think it must have been a U.K. I think it was like an anthology. I think yeah. like there was a Zoid story and a Spider-Man That's story. I, I don't guess. think they were teaming up. Yeah. I was, I was kind of hoping it, but when I looked into it, I was like, no, nah, it looks like there was like a Spider-Man story and a Zoid story. Yeah. I would, lo- I would, yeah. Love, to, I would love it to be the other way. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I think Zoid, Zoids was kind of like a uh, – I, I would have to guess it was like a Transformers type thing it, i know exactly it was it was like a build your own robot thing and you built okay. you built like animal robots and you could they could move that was the thing they had batteries and oh. they could walk and stuff and it was a pretty cool toy for its time and it was a toy line yeah yeah now uh he would create zenith for 2000 ad with steve yowell uh, this was grant's first regular strip uh, this is a, a story about a superhero as a celebrity. He's uh, not a very likable fella. He's very spoiled. He's uh, petulant. Um, very interesting concept. Uh, have you read uh, Zenith? I never read this, but it's it's something. This is a concept he obviously came back to in university. Yeah, and, and and other times too. Now that I think about it, yeah, there was through his career. Yeah, this had just become uh, available through uh, Rebellion or 2000 AD in a. Uh, Four four part uh, hardcovers, oh. and it's the first time in a very long time that it's actually accessible. Cool. I would recommend it. Um, now he would uh, catch the notice of DC. They asked Morrison to pitch them some stories. Um, that from that we get Animal Man, and an original graphic novel called Arkham Asylum: A Serious House on Serious Earth, with art with very very strange and beautiful art by Dave McKean. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this introduced, or at least popularized, um, very uh, metatextual concepts to comics, um, kind of like uh, actually talking about the crisis as though it was an event. Yeah. <laughs> and like the char- some characters knew, and also uh, he put himself in the story. Yeah, in um, Animal Man, it was that psycho pirate remembered. He was the only one that remembered he was the, the crisis, only one. and he was like telling Buddy Baker about it, and uh, like a lot of these, you know, it's. We're gonna get into it where where Grant Morrison, you know, has become the revamp guy for characters that yeah. have been kind of. But all these guys from England were basically used Alan Moore and Alan Grant. They all were there yep. just to retool these characters and make them more real, quote unquote. Make them more eighties, yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> no, I, I love the, uh, the some of the writing in Animal Man with the Psycho Pirate, because uh, I guess uh, one of the things that people thought was funny is because uh, Morrison means like son of the fox, hmm. uh, and. Uh, and in in the story, uh, Psycho Pirate talks about the Wolfman taking it all away, referring to Marv Wolfman, and the Foxman trying to bring it back, referring to Graham Morrison, which it's interesting. All right. Yeah, I mean, worth mentioning, I suppose. <laughs> now, uh, you know, this is uh, this the the series House on Serious Earth came out at a very very good time for Grant. Uh, this came out. Right during, uh, you know, Batmania, the uh, Tim Burton film was coming out, and uh, Grant's work gets a huge audience, uh, definitely wider than it would have otherwise, and, uh, you know, it also affected his pay. Oh, big time. Uh, <laughs> he claims to have gotten a dollar per copy on Arkham Asylum. This earned him a quarter of a million dollars on the first run of the book. Uh, we don't know if that's changed in the years hence or with subsequent reprintings, but... 
imagine that a quarter of a million dollars yeah. for one book that you're writing and he's he's and, he's like and he's unknown and he's like 25 <laughs> years old too you know yes. or whatever he's like 27 years old so it's it's really wild that this this put him on top and also by the way getting a dollar per copy on your first ever graphic novel Right, right out of the gate is really unheard of. Yeah, you're really more likely to get pennies per copy and mm-hmm. hope for the best. But no, he, he and I think Dave McKean also got a dollar. They each got a dollar per copy, so. roughly. Yeah. So it was. Uh, although he should have probably gotten more than a dollar since probably. he did a lot of work on it. Uh, yeah. So this this changed his fortunes tremendously. Absolutely. Um, now his uh, work on Animal Man would lead to him taking over uh, the Doom Patrol, which was uh, written by uh, Paul Kupperberg at the time, and Grant would take it over with issue number nineteen. Um, this is when when people think of Doom Patrol, this is generally if they're not thinking about the Arnold Drake one, they're thinking of this one. For sure, yeah. Uh, this is definitely uh, probably the best known, probably the probably the best remembered, especially uh, of people of our generation. Mm. Um, now, work, while working for DC Comics in America, he kept contributing to the to British indie titles. He wrote a story for a Trident Comics called Saint Swithin's Day. You ever read this? No, you told me about this one, one time, though. It's yeah. A weird one. This is an anti-Margaret Thatcher-themed uh, book. Uh, proved controversial, as you would imagine. It provoked a, a small tabloid press uh, reaction and also a complaint from conservative MP Teddy Taylor. Yeah. So uh, it didn't go under the radar. <laughs> no, I, I, this was probably the greatest publicity he could have gotten was have them a, a member of parliament censure him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, he, he is a, a fan of controversy. And he continues that train with The New Adventures of Hitler. And that came out in a Scottish music and lifestyle magazine called Cut in 1989. Uh, this has Adolf Hitler as a lead character, and I think the cover of one of the uh, magazines had Adolf Hitler dry, like riding a penny farthing bicycle oh, or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird stuff. That's how he was in his off time. Yeah, it's pretty. I think so. Pretty crazy stuff. He loved dogs and penny farthing bicycles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the uh, Morrison he returned to Batman with the Gothic story arc in issues six to ten of Batman title Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, which had just pretty much kicked off, like like we yep. mentioned. Uh, in that one, a guy named Mister Whip, Whip Whisper attempts to remove his six hundred year old curse. By murdering Gotham City with the plague. It's pretty good. It got recollected recently in a yep. trade. It's worth looking at. Uh, Morrison retold Kid Eternity for Kid Eternity for DC in the early 1990s with artist Duncan Fegredo. In mm-hmm. 1991, Morrison wrote Bible John, a forensic meditation for Fleetway's Crisis. Uh, Fleetway is a publisher drawn by a fellow member of the Mixers named Daniel Vallely. Uh, this is based on the crimes of the serial killer Bible John, and uh, what I read about it, I've never read this, but it was intimated it was kind of ripoff of Alan Moore's From Hell. Yeah, but that's when, the first thing I thought too. Didn't that come out later though? When did it? F- I don't know. Uh, I don't know, man. I, who knows? Maybe something was in the wind. Or I, as we know, anyone who listens to the show regularly knows that I have my times way off for when comics came out. For some, <laughs> it's part of being old. Is everything I think happened yesterday? And it was like, no, no, that was thirty years ago, Sonny. Uh, in 1993, started in 1989. Oh, all right. So yeah, it this, ran from 89 to 96. This could easily, this could have been uh, borrowed from that. And it does seem awfully close. And actually, I didn't even. I was going to bring it in here but there has been friction between Alan Moore and Grant Morrison mostly 
coming from Alan Moore over the years, but I yeah I actually neglected to add that. But anyway, maybe one one day I'm sure we'll circle around and talk about these authors again. I'll try to remember. Well, I, the, these guys really haven't done a whole lot, so I don't think we'll be talking about them again, right? No, no, probably not. Yeah, they, they're <laughs> no. hardly ever in the news either. No, no, no. We'll uh, we'll never talk about Grant Morrison nor Alan Moore. Nor again. Alan Moore. Why, why would we? He never comes up. Uh, yeah, Alan, you know, Alan Moore freaking shifts in his seat, and there's a uh, publication, there's an article about it, believe Yeah, CBR is on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in 1993, Morrison, fellow Glaswegian, uh, Glaswegian, Glaswegian, is that the way to put it? I guess that makes sense. That's how I say it. <laughs> Comic writer Mark Millar and John Smith were asked to reinvigorate 2000 AD for an eight-week run called The Summer Offensive. Uh, Morrison wrote Judge Dredd and really and truly and co-wrote the controversial Big Dave with Millar and they would uh, work again in the future as we'll get to mm -hmm. work together. Uh, DC Comics launched its Vertigo imprint in 1993 publishing several of Morrison's creator-owned projects. For example, the steampunk miniseries Sebastian O, The Mystery Play, Kill Your Boyfriend with artist Philip Bond originally published as a Vertigo Voices one-shot in 1995 and Flex Mentalo, a Doom Patrol spinoff with art by Frank Quitely in 1996. Did he you ever read uh, Sebastian O? I read Sebastian O, and I've read Flex Mentalo, obviously. That's not that's the, not a surprise. Yeah, because <laughs> that was originally going to be published by Disney, Sebastian mm. O. Interesting. It was through their, uh, I don't remember what the brand was called, like Touch Touchstone or Touch something. Touchstone it was, was their a, movie brand. It was like the R-rated movie movies, yeah. But there was a, they were going to actually have a uh, an imprint of comic books that was going to include uh, – it, it very much felt like early Vertigo. It was going to be like Peter Milligan. It was going to be Grant. Um, and, you know, deal fell through at the last minute. But luckily, he had a another outlet for it. It was It's pretty good, as I remember. It's been a long time since I looked at it, but I thought it was, it was yeah. a pretty good idea. And frankly, it kind of got me into steampunk, which uh, – Yeah. Bless your heart there, Grant. It was, it was all right. <laughs> Uh, the art was kind of crazy. I think the art did more for that for me. Because that was uh, Steve Yowell, right? Yeah, and it was yeah. it was, looked pretty damn, like, gritty but good, you know, like, I don't yeah. know, very elaborate. Um, he returned briefly after that to the DC Universe Superheroics with the short-lived Aztec. You ever had this I read? Too. The Ultimate Man, yes. Co-written co with Mark Millar. This actually is all right, or Mark Miller. I'm, I don't know how people like to say it. Yeah. He relaunched the Man Magnificent Seven version of the JLA in 1996. That's our core superheroes. Uh, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, and uh, Martian, Man Martian Hunter. Manhunter. I always forget the seventh because so it's always rotating. Because <laughs> everybody forgets him. Yeah, yes. exactly. Uh, <laughs> curiously, though, for once, he, he was bringing a series back to its fundamentals instead of like you know exercising his repository of arcane comics knowledge. Sure. Although at the time, don't forget there were a lot of <laughs> weird. Superman was electric. Superman yep. you had like a hook hand. Kyle Rayner was new. Kyle yep. Rayner, yeah, it was a, it was a weird time, but. He used it all, and it's it's a great run. It's very well loved, and uh, it's, awesome. it's worth checking out. Morrison wrote several issues of The Flash with Mark Millar, uh, wrote DC One Million, which was 1998's crossover event, which imagined the DC Universe one million at one million AD, right? Or was it one million years ago? It future? was going to be an issue one million. That's right. So yeah. it was uh, whatever was, date was going to be one million, issue one million. Far-flung future uh, DC heroes was the was yeah. the idea. It was it was pretty good too. Yeah. Produced three volumes of the Invisibles for Vertigo, considered to be his most personal work, and uh, this was produced during the only time in his life by his claim that he used drugs. Uh, hmm. and, and let me tell you, it reads like it. <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, this was a uh, such a weird one because this is the one that uh, caused a schism between him and uh, Warner Brothers because 
uh, the, they he thinks that the Matrix took a bit from it, yeah. and uh, yeah. it seems like they, that they, there is an argument for it for sure. I'm I'm just gonna I mean I, you know as big a Grant Morrison fan I am, and I know this is considered his seminal work. I don't like The Invisibles, and part of the reason I don't like it's it, hard it's, to read. Well, it's 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 very like it's very uh, heady. It's very yeah. meta contextual. But also the themes in it are really kind of puerile, I think, you know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. with the same with the Matrix, this idea that, you know, reality is not real and, you know, you're, you're being controlled by a uh, reality conspiracy. Yeah. I, I don't know, it doesn't strike me. It's like an Aldous Huxley book or something, you know? It's yeah. like, and it's, it's cool enough. Uh, I, I might need to give The Invisibles another try, although I did read it not that long ago, even like, I don't know, 10 years ago. Yes, kids. When you reach our age, ten years is not that long ago. Just, just a little bit. Back <laughs> I, I think the most interesting thing about that was his plea in a letters page, because the sales weren't going so good, and he was afraid the book was going to get canceled. So yeah. he uh, tried to organize a. Uh, how do you even say this? A. Uh, a group masturbation exercise <laughs> where they were going to pick a time, or they did pick a time where he wanted everyone who read the book to vigorously masturbate to uh, inspire uh, the sigils to increase the sales on the book. Yeah, I don't think that worked, probably. Uh, I don't don't know. (laughs) But, you know, listen, when when you're as prolific a guy as Graham Morrison, they can't be a a home run every time out. Exactly. Um, And then after this uh, vertigo, he would kind of return back and do... uh, um, JLA Earth 2 with Frank Quitely in the year 2000, which I also like quite a lot. Yep, absolutely. Uh, then uh, he went to Marvel for a little while. Uh, he wrote the six-part Marvel Boy series, which I remember when that came out, they were... Uh, <laughs> this was one of those books that Wizard tried to attribute some value to. Uh-huh. And uh, the rumor was floated that this was the launch of the Marvel Ultimate Universe. Hmm. Was in this Marvel Boy book. It has since proven to be not so. Right. Uh, he also wrote uh, a, a book called Fantastic Four One Two Three Four, which was basically his take on the team. I believe that had Jay Lee art. Okay. Um, this one I've actually he, never even heard of. I, I never even knew this book existed. Yeah, it's 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 okay. Um, was it a, was it a one shot or was it? No, it was actually a four part miniseries. All right. Yeah, but it was it was decent. I mean, I it's, I, I don't think you'd need to hunt it down. Um, he uh, began, uh, they converted X-Men Volume 2 into a title called New X-Men that actually read the same way forwards and backwards, <laughs> the way they did the logo. That's true. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah, this was with uh, Frank Whiteley mostly. Uh, this started in 2002. Uh, he pretty much revamps the X-Men. He changes the uh, whole dynamic of the team. He makes the school more like a school. Mm-hmm. And uh, a, very, a very fun series. I, I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, this one I liked, yeah. It was crazy, yeah. but yeah, I liked it. And it, it even holds up on rereads because uh, a, uh, a lot of things come to light at the end, and uh, you can actually track it and see, like, oh, well, how didn't I notice this? Um, he heads back to D.C. in 2002, and uh, this is, uh, I guess he never told Marvel he was leaving <laughs> until at a convention they announced him as exclusive. Yeah. And uh, and so a lot of stuff that he did in X-Men was uh, unceremoniously dumped. It was right, right away. away. Yeah, they, they, got, they weren't happy with him. Because, yeah, Marvel's never been known to be petty, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> he launched, uh, now this is probably the Morrison work that I like the least. This is The Filth. Yeah. Uh, drawn by Chris Weston and Gary Erskine. 
I've I, I've got the trade. I've got the singles. I don't enjoy either. <laughs> it's it's pretty crass, and it's it's really kind of doesn't go anywhere. Really, yeah. I'm yeah. Not thrilled with this one. Now he also had a trio of uh, of miniseries uh, from Vertigo in 2004. We had Sea Guy, we had We Three, and we had Vim and Arama. Yeah, I think I said that right the first time. Sure, yeah, good job. <laughs> I've only read those first two, but I do like them a lot. We Three especially is really good. We Three is very good. Yeah, Sea Guy, because uh, even Sea Guy got a uh, got a sequel called like uh, Prisoners of Mickey Eye or something. It was uh, like satire on corporate culture, from what I remember. Um, in 2005, he would return to the sort of mainstream DC universe with a, uh, a crazy series called Seven Soldiers. It's uh, seven interlinked uh, four-issue miniseries with a couple of uh, bookend volumes, so 30 volume, 30 issues total, and uh, they were, you know, they were disparate miniseries that all sort of tied together. Yeah, and the characters uh, in the miniseries did not necessarily know. They didn't know oh, the yeah, other story. It was, it was it's really well done, and uh, it's collect. There's the problem is it's collected. I think in a f- couple of different ways, but there's no yeah. great way to collect it. Yeah, you, you really no. have to read it in singles and try to like follow it along bit by bit. Yeah, it's a puzzle. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, we had the series. We had uh, the Manhattan Guardian, which was a take on the uh, the Kirby character, yep. but with a different different fellow under the mask. Uh, Mister Miracle, which is the uh, Shiloh Norman version, not not uh, Scott Free. Right. Uh, Clarion the Witch Boy when he was still a boy. Uh, the Bulleteer, Frankenstein, Zatanna, and the Shining Knight. Uh, Dan DiDio, who was at that point editorial vice president of DC Comics, gave Morrison the unofficial title of quote unquote revamp guy. Now that guy has he can come up with titles. Wow, I think so. what a yeah. guy. What a what a what a revamp guy. <laughs> Where do you come up with this, Dan? Anyway. <laughs> and uh this 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 guy's drawing guy. <laughs> this guy's writing guy. This guy does what the colors is. <laughs> <laughs> this guy puts the colors on the pages. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now Didio asked him to assist in sorting out the DC universe in the wake of Infinite Crisis. It said that Infinite Crisis was basically was it uh, Didio, Johns, Rucka, and Winnick sitting around a table, I guess. Mm. And uh, in the wake of it, they really needed to, uh, they needed some help cleaning it up. Uh, now, Morrison was one of those writers, along with Mark Wade and, uh, of course, Johns, Rucka. And uh, they put together the year-long weekly miniseries or maxi-series called 52. Mm-hmm. Uh, beginning in December... You know, I, I was reading this earlier, and I can't believe that this is over 10 years ago. I know. I, I, uh, you know what I would have said is is it's like, oh, yeah, this recent. came out in 2011. Yeah. There's, yeah. Uh, these are the problems, <laughs> kids. <laughs> yeah, don't get old, although, <laughs> although it does beat the alternative. Uh, beginning in 2000, uh, December of 2005, DC began All-Star Superman. I still can't believe that's 12 years ago. Uh, drawn by Frank Whiteley. Uh, the series won uh, the Eisner Award for Best New Series in 2006, and the Best Continuing Series Eisner, Continuing Series Eisner Award in 2007. And, and I would say, if for some weird reason you had you could all, were only allowed to own one Superman series, <laughs> uh, this cool. this would be the one. This really is a complete. I mean, there are a lot of great Superman stories out there in the world, but soup to nuts this is the most complete best story i think ever done i really love it in 2006 morrison began writing batman for dc with issue number 655 for a september cover date he would write batman sort of with some short breaks a little couple of one-offs here and there until 2013 through batman and robin and then batman incorporated and we'll get to some of that uh, a little later on wrote final crisis in 2008 
In 2010, he did Joe the Barbarian with Sean Murphy for Vertigo. Uh, this story, Joe is a diabetic young boy who begins to hallucinate a fantasy world populated with his toys and other fantasy characters when he stops taking his medication. Did you ever read that? I, I did read that, and it's it's pretty good. I like it. Uh, I like the art a lot. The art the is... story, I remember the last issue was delayed pretty hard. Oh, but, I, uh, I, only, I only read it collected. The art is uh, is great in it, and uh, it's it's this isn't a great thing. I, I like the idea of this kid having a fantasy world. However, I'd like to tell any diabetics listening, do not stop taking your medication. Yes. You will not go to a fantasy world. You will slip into a yeah. coma and die. Your, your Superman and Batman action figures will not start walking around. No, so uh, that's important uh, that kids don't follow that particular one. Um, now, in 2011, uh, the new 52 would kick in, and he actually wrote action comics with Rag Morales on art at the very beginning, returning the character to a sort of more brash, less powered Golden Age version. He could leap instead of fly. He didn't have any of his eye, you know, his uh, heat vision or any of that stuff. Um, and he wore a t-shirt and jeans, which, which was probably the best indicator. Uh, his involvement and unwillingness to share plot points with George Perez, who was writing and drawing Superman, led to some bad blood, and Perez walked off the comic after one issue and actually refuses to work for mainstream comics, I think, to this day. He's been working with yeah, Valiant. Yeah, does. Boom or, yeah, maybe those, it's Boom. Maybe yeah. uh, it's some other independent, and he's doing his own comic there. But, yeah, it's amazing. He actually left comics, or as we know them, over this. Sure. Uh, beyond comics, Morrison was featured in My Chemical Romance's music videos. Na 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 parentheses. Na 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 na. Close parentheses and sing from their 2010 album Danger Days: True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys. Uh, if it's not clear, I'm not familiar with either of those songs, but that's okay. Uh, he wrote a, a prose book, Super Gods, Our World in the Age of the Superhero, which was published by Random House in July 2011. And in September 2012, Morrison Con was held at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. Curated by Morrison, it featured a number of comics industry guests, including Robert Kirkman, Derek Robertson, Jason Aaron, Jim Lee, Gerard Way, Jonathan Hickman, Frank Quitely, J.H. Williams III, and Chris Burnham. Uh, that must be you're gonna throw. When are you throwing Chris Con? Is that coming anytime soon? I, I have that every day. Just nobody oh. shows up. Oh yeah, it's open <laughs> Sometimes invite. Sometimes the dogs show up. Open invite to Chris Con. <laughs> uh, it's made a member of the most excellent order of the Royal British Empire in 2012 by the Queen of England herself. This hmm. is the first step on anyone's journey to knighthood. So uh, that's something. Uh, he produced a sure nine. Grant. It's 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 coming. You know, it's I, in the I offing. Know, I don't know how long it takes. I don't know how many steps there are, but it's it's he's on the road. Uh, produced the nine-part series Multiversity in 2014 and 2015, and he's currently the editor in chief of Head Heavy Metal magazine. Uh, he's also written screenplays and theatrical plays as well, but this isn't actually a Grant Morrison podcast, despite the fact that we've gone on about him at such great length. So uh, we'll leave that for another another podcast to talk about. I, I want to add one thing. It's uh, that there actually is a Grant Morrison documentary out there called there uh, Talking with Gods. Yeah. I believe it is on Hulu streaming. I, I think that's oh, really? where I saw it. Oh. But uh, it's uh, yeah, it's worth watching. It's pretty neat. Uh, you get to hear a lot of his contemporaries talk about uh, his madness and his uh, his genius. So it's a uh, You may have very to watch it twice, though, because of his accent. That's the third problem. <laughs> that, and, and because they reveal things at the end that, that are sprinkled throughout the... No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, we're also going to talk about the artist. This is Tony S. Daniel. 
and of course, uh, we have far less information than uh, than with we do with Grant. Yeah. Uh, he was born Antonio Salvador Daniel. Uh, decided to become a comic book artist, oh, an artist when he was in the fourth grade. He made his professional comics debut in 1993 on Comico's The Elementals. Uh, he would illustrate X-Force for Marvel Comics and Spawn Blood Feud for Image Comics. Uh, he had several creator-owned titles at Image, including Silk, The Tenth, Adrenaline, and F5. Uh, he would come back to DC in 2005 to do uh, The Teen Titans with Jeff Johns. Uh, he penciled, the, I think it was the final few issues, uh, issues 11 through 13 yeah. of Flash, The Fastest Man Alive, which uh, was written by Mark Guggenheim, and this concluded uh, the Bart Allen run as Flash in the wake of uh, Infinite Crisis, mm -hmm. and ended with Bart Allen dying. Hey, but he got better. <laughs> uh, in 2007, Tony began drawing Batman with issue number 270. Or Couldn't have been. Had to be No, no, it's got to be Sorry. Yeah, 670. Yeah. Uh, this is what he considers to be his dream job. Uh, and, you know, pretty much every comic artist's yeah. dream job. <laughs> this is Very Batman unique in that Tony way, Tony. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, after Batman R.I.P., he would uh, actually uh, he would take the writing pencil, too. He wrote and illustrated Battle for the Cowl. Uh, which was the main miniseries dealing with the story's aftermath. Uh, it basically is a battle for the cow. Mm -hmm. um, since then, he pretty much writes his own ticket at DC, not unlike Grant Morrison if he would decide to write some more for them. Uh, he's worked for DC con uh, continuously since then. Uh, cur he's currently drawing the uh, Justice League versus Suicide Squad um, uh, event miniseries. Yeah, I mean, and currently meaning like right now. It's, it's, right or that, that's, what, that's what's <laughs> coming out right now. Uh, yes. But he's always got something, and I, I would... I didn't want to do a full bibliography because just go look at it. He's got a website and it's it's huge. You know, he's working constantly. He never stops. So uh, he does very well for himself. And I, you know, I like his art a lot. And I think his writing sure. is okay too. Uh, it's gotten better over time. This battle for the cow was not a great, but it's things have gotten a little he, rough. Yeah, he did a run on Deathstroke. I think I think that was the new Fifty Two, right? That was okay. I think it was the second version of the. New Fifty Two one, yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he wrote and drew that, and uh, but he he's a he's a great artist, especially on these dark uh, characters, you know, do yeah. heavy with the shadows. So we're gonna do our best to sort of fill you in on what had been happening in Grant Morrison's run, and believe me, folks, it was a lot. So uh, we, <laughs> if we if we miss something, we apologize, but we will do the best we can to clue you in. If you have any questions, write to us angrily and say what the hell were you talking about. Um, it all started really this this what led up to Batman R.I.P. was uh, uh, Batman 655 through 658. This is collected as Batman and Son. I don't think that, I don't know if that's what the story was called. I don't think it was. I think it was called. Uh, it was called something else. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, this was September December 2006 cover dates and it featured up by Andy Kubert. That was among his first DC work after a very long stay with Marvel and it looks pretty damn great. Yeah. Uh, Talia uh, Al Ghul interrupts Bruce Wayne at a party to tell him about his son Damien, who was apparently conceived during the original graphic novel Batman, Son of the Demon from 1987 by Mike Barr and Jerry Bingham. Bruce also meets an exotic heiress, super wealthy woman, Jezebel Jett, at this party. She rebuffs him, but she will figure in very much in the uh, coming issues. Sure. Uh, the next uh, the next thing that plays into this is a storyline called The Black Glove, which ran from Batman 667 to 670, as uh, August through October 2007 cover dates. Uh, Batman and Robin are invited to a reunion of the International Club of Heroes. 
They were also known as the Batmen of all nations, which who first appeared in Detective Comics number 215 way back in January 1955. Yeah, and they, they would um, come back several times, too. They, they, they would. They liked it. Yes. Um, on a Carib- how are we saying this? Caribbean or Caribbean? Either one you like, Chris. It's fine. <laughs> they're both they're both wrong, I think. So uh, yes. <laughs> on on one of them islands, owned by a film producer and Club of Heroes benefactor uh, Jonathan Mayhew, uh, we learned that Mayhew knew Thomas and Martha Wayne, and also is a member of the international cabal, the Black Glove. Also, the Black Glove kills him. Sure. Uh, we meet a fellow by the name of Dr. Simon Hurt, who has created a splinter group called the Club of Villains, who aim to break Batman's spirit and then take his life. And they proceed to do just that over the next ten issues, which includes some brainwashed cops acting as murderous Batman around Gotham, a plunge into sensory deprivation chamber that seems to revive some hallucinations he experienced in the story Robin Dies at Dawn, which is from... Batman number 156, June 1963, and over this time he grows closer and closer to Jezebel Jet, who tells Bruce that he's gone loco, essentially, that, mm-hmm. you know, you're, all this stuff you think is happening is nonsense. He also shares his Batman identity and even the Batcave with Jezebel, which I, even at, I mean, yeah. everyone reading it at the time was like, come on, dude, her name is Jezebel. I mean, yes. you know, like, it's <laughs> it's so obvious. The only, the only, the only way it would have been worse if they, if they called her, like, two-faced bitch, you know what I mean? Like, it's, I mean, it's so <laughs> obvious. But anyway, I mean, that was all, I think that was all part of it was for us to be at the comic, like, Bruce, you idiot, stop it, you're making it, but. <laughs> but like we, we were talking about off the air, this is this is like a celebration of Silver Age, and there would definitely be a character called Jezebel. Oh yeah, oh yeah, With, the uh, the alliteration and everything. You yep. know, yeah, it's so absolutely. Good. Now uh, to cope with his growing insanity, Batman adopts the alternative identity of. The Batman of Zur and R. We'll get to him more later. <laughs> now, this is a, a Batman with a red and yellow costume made of garbage. Uh, he carries a baseball bat and a transistor radio that he calls the Bat Radia. Uh, and he's given advice by a hallucinated avatar of himself known as Bat Might. This is uh, M I G H T, not M I T E. But this is a take on Batmite, M-I-T-E, who first appeared in Detective Comics number 257 from uh, May 1959. Uh, he was a fifth-dimensional imp, kind of like uh, Superman's uh, Mr. Mixias Pitalik, uh, who admired Batman and Robin, and he would try to help them, with, uh, usually with hilarious and uh, not-so-helpful results. Yeah, it was, it was obvious, you know, basically, I'll help you by turning, turning the ground into cotton candy, and then everyone sure. you know, gets stuck in whatever it was. Uh, and now, at the end of Batman 680, which is the comic just before this that we're going to talk about, uh, the club of villains and Joker specifically poisons Batman with some Jokerized venom or venomized Joker serum, some <laughs> some combo that uh, this paralyzes him and they bury him alive. Batman's will broken and his expiration imminent, and the last thing he sees before shutting his eyes is Jezebel's betrayal. And that brings us to Batman number 681. Yes, this is Haunts in Darkness. Uh, the regular cover, it shows uh, Batman's face peeking between two uh, gargoyle statues. They're all in profile, and uh, rain is pouring down on all three of them. Uh, we open with Batman straight-jacketed on the interior, in the interior of his coffin, scowling kind of like Judge Dredd. Uh, we get a caption of Batman. He goes, uh, there's, a, there's a caption saying, but there's a thing about Batman. Batman thinks of everything. Uh, this is from uh, what, what? It was like in a book, right? Yeah, uh, I don't remember what the book er, was early in this to. series. That's like, yeah, that's like a, a call out to something that, that he read earlier on. 
Yeah, we get a uh, we go here. From well, here I mean, the captions are from his diary, I believe is the idea. His diary, but I think they called it something. Yeah, I just don't remember what they called Black it. Black Casebook. Yeah, there That's you go. It was Black Casebook. Uh, now, in a they, we switch to flashback mode here, and it's a lot of black and red. We got a uh, Bruce Wayne, uh, his pre-Batman training. He's in a, a monastery in Nanda Parbat to uh, learn the rite of Thogal. This is a deep meditation that involves sensory deprivation in a cave. Uh, he, you know, he's hanging out with another initiate who beckons that he drink his chai tea. Uh, the initiate asks Bruce Wayne, uh, he asks why Bruce Wayne would put himself through this rigorous psychological training. Bruce says, if my mind came under attack, let's just say if it already has come under attack, would it be possible to create an emergency personality as a defense, a backup human operating system? And the initiate replies, like a computer? You are a remarkable man, Mr. Wade. I must confess to a certain sadness. But your cup is poisoned, and you now have less than two minutes to live. Consider Thogal as a rehearsal for this moment, Mr. Wayne, with my dark master's compliments. From here, we go back to the present. We have a Pierrot Lunaire. The mime and Swagman, the uh, the brute from the uh, Club of Villains, and they're fighting Red Robin. Kind of, kind of has like the uh, the red tomato helmet on. You notice, like a, yes. bu- a bucket head. I don't really know. <laughs> and uh, I, I love this here. The uh, the mime's uh, voice balloons, so the word balloons are are empty. Yeah, they're blank. That's the, the, great. The mime is saying no, literally saying nothing on purpose while they're having this big fight. That's yes. <laughs> now they appear to have the upper hand until the Dark Ranger from the Club of Heroes shows up and zaps them. Uh, this is formerly the Scout, since the original Dark Ranger was killed on Mayhew's Island. Uh, the whole Heroes Club is here to pitch in and save Gotham City from chaos. Uh, back in the flashback, Bruce lives and the prankster pal dies because, you know, Bruce switched the cups because that's, you know, just force a habit. Force a habit. I do the same thing, but I do it with uh, my wife's dinner plate and only, yes. only when I'm done with mine. Of course. So uh, in the present, Dr. Simon Hurt <laughs> and other members of the Black Love stand before Batman's shallow grave gloating. Hurt is wearing a costume from Detective Comics number 234. That's the first Batman, cover date September 1956, wherein Bruce Wayne... Uh, see some old home movies of his father, Thomas Wayne, at a masquerade ball wearing a costume similar to Batman's. Kind of has a masquerade mask with flared bat wings. It's a little different, yeah. but uh, same kind of thing. Sure. And uh, the story introduces uh, Lou Moxon, who, uh, who, has hired, who was the one who hired Joe Chill to purposely kill Martha and Thomas Wayne, which uh, sort of changes it from the, you know, the random act of uh, poor city planning to uh, an actual criminal conspiracy. But for now, that's all beside the point. Yeah. And I mean, that was wiped away with the first crisis that Earth's anyway, but it was something they carried all the way up to that. They would refer to this thing, and, and, and you know, just, just briefly, it always, in my mind, it changes the whole nature of Batman entirely, where he's no longer fighting for the little man against, you know, the, the harsh realities of, of, you know, inequality, but he's, like, fighting against a grand criminal conspiracy. So, yeah. uh, you know, I just thought it was interesting. Uh, Simon Hurt says, Batman, late to rest Buried alive in his best cape, and all for the entertainment of my honored guests, which is sort of a weird thing just to say. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> do you, I mean, do you, do you when you serve dinner, do you say hamburgers made by my own hands? You know, like you just kind of just lay it down and do it. You know, but anyway, on the lovely greased grill pan. <laughs> <Yeah. Yes. laughs> 
Uh, he's saying this, and a, a fellow by the name of Cardinal Maggie says, A somewhat shallow bet, Dr. Hurt. And Hurt replies, Enough to confine the strongest man, but not so deep we can't exhume what remains after dessert. Which tells me he doesn't know Batman as well as he thinks he does, huh? Nope, he's uh, barking up the wrong tree here. Mm-hmm. Uh, right there at the graveside, the guests discuss whether Batman will live or die, and Hurt says, don't argue, you're both right. The air in the coffin will run out in 30 minutes, and his brain will begin dying immediately after, but the plan is to snatch him out of there in the proper amount of time where he'll be alive, but severely brain damaged and a drooling idiot, the most like mm. unkind uh, cut of all, you know? Yes. Now uh, we we uh, shift over to the Joker, who was re- recruited by the Club of Villains for this specific task. He wants uh, he wants to hang around a little longer. He even snaps the neck of one of the uh, members of the Black Glove to make room for his own membership. I mean, that's thoughtful. That's nice of him. Sure. <laughs> uh, he produces the uh, Bat Radio, uh, used in the mock trial against Batman to prove his insanity. Jezebel says, "I'll take that. It's nothing." An old broken radio he found in a derelict shopping cart. Now another fellow from the Black Glove, adept in electronics, offers to uh, maybe play around with it, maybe tinker with it a bit. Uh, When activated, it creates a security alert at Arkham Asylum, where they've convened, naturally. Uh, This also triggers a signal to a bat computer inside Wayne Tower, rather than at the Batcave, if the the art is depicted correctly. It does look that way, yeah. And I don't know if this is a callback to uh, back like just before Crisis when uh, when he was operating out of the uh, penthouse, or if it's just a sign of uh, Batman's preparedness, where uh, you know he, there's there's going to be signals going to multiple places. Well, now here, just, here's uh, another thing, and you know I've read this several times, but reading it this hmm. time made me think of this. What if, and it's just something to mull over. What if the Joker made that change mm. to the Batman? I wonder. Just something, just something to throw out there. It's not impossible because mm-hmm. he was the last guy to have it. That's true, and I, and I always like the stories. I, 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 I never wanted the Joker to be crazy. I like him being sane. <laughs> I want him to yeah. know what he's doing because it's just. I just think it's a little bit more satisfying. And, and, and a lot scarier too. But anyway, this is very true. Very, <laughs> very true. Uh, now, in the asylum surgery theater, Basu, fresh from having his fla- fa- face slashed by the Joker in the last issue, he's ready to perform a lobotomy on Dick Grayson. Dick ain't having none of that, fool. Nope. Uh, we go back to our black, our red and white flashback at Nanda Parbat. Uh, Bruce saves the life of the initiate just so we could tell the Dark Master that Bruce Wayne is uh, no joke. Fool. <laughs> back to now. Batman busts out of his shallow grave despite Dr. Hurt saying he couldn't. Guess he didn't know everything, does he? You know? No. A little pompous. <laughs> That man claws his way out. He says, 206 bones, five major organs, 6,000 miles of blood vessels. All of it takes, all it takes is time. Days, months, years spent learning the finite ways they are to hurt and break a man. Preparing for all of them. I've escaped from every conceivable death trap. Ten times, a dozen times. I can slow my breathing and metabolism to control panic and preserve air. Straitjackets, kindergarten, locks too. Uh, Bench pressing a pine coffin lid through 600 pounds of loose soil that's filling your mouth, pressing your lungs flat, and shredding your dehydrated muscles. That's a bit harder, but far from impossible. 
And now Batman stands on top of his open grave, uh, looking grim as heck. There's no lightning bolt behind him, but there should no. be. Definitely looks like that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Inside the asylum, Joker taunts the members of the Black Glove. Now they're all scared to pieces. Um, he makes a reference to the Joker at this point to beating Robin's brains in with a crowbar back during Death in the Family, just to make sure they know that he's capable of that kind of stuff. And he also yes. refers to apophenia, which is making connections or seeing patterns in unrelated things. Whether he's referring to Batman having his problem or Batman causing the problem in him, where it's unclear, or you know maybe Joker just is talking about his capacity his own, to do it. Yeah. Uh, but it's definitely something I think you see that in schizoid people a lot, right? That's that's mm -hmm. uh, a common thing. Hurt, Hurt admits that Arkham Asylum is no longer under their control, and he says, "But you can choose." But you chose to be here All of you gamblers You high and mighty rollers Your sins have found you out Yeah and, and you invited them So where does that leave us I know I mean he's like putting it on them <laughs> But it's like that's like inviting someone over to dinner And then blaming them for getting food poisoning You know what I mean It's like <laughs> yes. this, this is your party dude You're, you're <laughs> screwing it up here and uh, you know, Batman shows up ready to ready to dance with the Black Glove, and uh, Jezebel is there, and she's still taunting. Which is which is really ballsy of her, you know. Isn't it? Here's a guy you thought was dead standing, but he, all she says <laughs> is, "I thought I smelled dirt." There's <laughs> nothing you can do, Bruce. No court on the planet we can't buy. No judge or jury beyond threatening or bribing. Now do you get it? There's you rich down here, and there's Black Gov Glove rich. And Jezebel raises her arm and says, Oh, I'm just not tall enough. <laughs> well, well, Batman beats up a couple of henchmen. He explains how he's been prepared all along. Your father, Jacob Nickel, not even related. He won you. He won your mother. A black glove wagered 20 years ago. I know what they did to you and what they turned you both into. I know how he made her die. I know how you implauded as you watched President Nickel's enemies chop him to pieces and put you in his place. I read the letter your mother sent you from death row, stained with tears. I know that I know it's the one thing you value, the only thing that has meaning in your life. That's why I stole it from your safe at the Four Seasons Gotham, and now you'll never touch it again. No, 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 no. You're lying. You can't know about that. You think you've won, but I was the last, Bruce Wayne. You'll never love anyone. You'll never trust any woman ever again. Love? Congratulate Alfred on the acting lessons. Ooh, that's cold. Oof. That's that's frigid. Uh, causes Jezebel to wig out. Uh, Simon Hurt takes off. Uh, Nightwing shows up to keep things settled, so Batman takes off after Hurt for the uh, big showdown. Uh, over to the Club of Heroes, they tell Red Robin he must go to Batman to be with him because he loves him. Uh, also, because there's a lot of shit going down in Arkham Asylum. <laughs> uh, more, more of that part, really. I kind of added the love part. <laughs> Meanwhile, Joker has stolen an ambulance, and he's driving like the maniac he is, just sort of weaving across a bridge. And Damien, sure. driving the Batmobile with Alfred in the passenger seat, knocks the Joker off a bridge. That, Alfred goes, that was an ambulance, Master Damien. And Damien says... What was an ambulance? Just be grateful I didn't leave you to burn back in the Batcave, Pennyworth. Will my father let me keep this car? <laughs> oh, Bat Batman faces Dr. Hurt on the roof of the asylum, where, of course, Hurt monologues his villainous plot. And, and, and of course, you know, it is pouring rain. It is Gotham. It does rain 364 days out of the year. Yes. Hurt says... <laughs> 
We stem the tide of crime in Gotham City, undermining your reason to be. We daubed the walls with a trigger phrase you'd been primed not to see until it was too late. Split your mind, drugged you, left you deranged, poisoned and buried you. You imagine yourself indomitable, a deluded trust fund orphan who vents his rage and frustration on the poor in the alleyways. Repeat after me, I must put away my Batman costume and retire from crime fighting. At this point, Simon Hurt tries to convince Bruce that he is Thomas Wayne. Uh, Bruce uh, says that he's Mangrove uh, Pierce, the star of the Jonathan Mayhew-produced film The Black Love, and also Thomas Wayne's body double. So uh, I'm not sure if this is the fact yet, but <laughs> it's as good as we're going to get. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much all we get for now. Uh, Hurt claims to have skinned Mangrove alive and, wrote his, and wore his skin to attend Matt Mayhew's party, because it was a white skin affair, after all. Uh, Hurt tries to take off in a helicopter. Bruce jumps on and punches a window, then forces it down to a great explosion in the river. It seems that everyone is dead. Or are they? The epilogue has Jezebel Jet flying away in her jet, which is bes then beset by a swarm of bats. Bosu is torturing some poor bastard with a drill, and then he sees the bat signal overhead. And there's a red and black flashback of a familiar scene, Batman's origin, and we're not going to get into that again. We know what happened. No, yes, we do. So that concluded uh, that issue. Yes. But the story marches on. It does, and it, it, uh, I still don't really know what really happened here. Uh, <laughs> in a Final Crisis, which was also written by Grant Morrison, um, we get the old switcheroo of Batman's death in the regular comic. Uh, then we have Darkseid actually killing Batman at the end of Final Crisis using an, his Omega Beams and applying the Omega Sanction, if we're remembering right. I think so, right? Didn't you say face the Omega I think Sanction? So. I mean, the whole I thing is that so. leading up to this issue and during Morrison's whole run, there was sort of this tease that Batman was going to die. Yeah. And then he didn't, but then he did. And that was like, I think it was really playing the comic's publicity it to, was, to its best it, extent, I think that was all it was. Yeah, because it was like, did he die twice? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like he died in Final Crisis and in Batman somehow, kinda, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, now, uh, Batman simultaneously shoots Darkseid with a uh, special God bullet, uh, willing to forego his, you know, his normal no guns rule just this one time. Uh, this appears to kill Bruce. He leaves a skeleton after all that Superman carries out, but. This is a comic book, so you know things are about to get a little complicated. And they, oh, it all happens almost right away. This uh, bumped up right against the Blackest Night uh, crossover in mm -hmm. well, Green Lanterns and a lot of books where the dead rose from the grave. And uh, right early on, I think in the first issue, right, Black Hand takes Bruce Wayne's skull and appears to revive him in yeah, zombie Black form. Hit, uh Blackest Night number zero, uh, he digs it up. Yeah, so it was the that's free like, comic book day special. And uh, it turned. And you know, when this happened, it was funny. They were like, "This proves that that Bruce Wayne really did die because yeah. he can be revived." But it it turns out later that these are not the true versions of dead superheroes. Not gonna just not gonna get into that right now, folks. That yeah. might we might talk about it another time. But uh, <laughs> but I really would have thought just having the skull wouldn't that be enough evidence? I mean, you literally have the body. You know what I mean? But it wasn't enough. <laughs> no, only when Black Hand revives him as a Black Lantern. Now we know he's dead. Now we know. <laughs> uh, they, with, uh, you know, after the Battle for the Cowl, uh, Dick Grayson takes over as Batman, and we get a new title written by Grant Morrison with art by Frank Whiteley called Batman and Robin. Um, their run is, uh, f is continued into a run by uh, Judd Winnick and 
Guillem March was I in? I think that's right. Guillem. Uh, now, uh, and that features Winnick taking a few pot shots at Morrison for his treatment of uh, the Red Hood. Who, who really uh, is Winnick's, you know, Winnick had done a lot to, re to rehabilitate that character, so. Yeah. Uh, and, and he called all those times to save him back in the uh, in the 80s, right? That's right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> he was the one. That, that was the rumor. Uh, now, uh, like we said, Dick Grayson is Batman and Damian Wayne is Robin protecting Gotham. It's uh, pretty neat to have, uh, you know, the happy-go-lucky Batman with the somber and, and stoic Robin. Yeah, it's re it, really is, it really is good. And it really humanized yeah. Damian, who to this point was someone I think everyone hated. And he, and with he was good just reason. a killing machine. He, yeah, he, was, he was a killing machine. He was an asshole. He seemed entitled. Yeah. He seemed spoiled. But this really humanized the character and began the rehabilitation of Damian Absolutely. Lane. Now, during this time, uh, Tim Drake travels the world as Red Robin. He drops the Robin uh, uh, co you know, costume and identity for Damian. And a lot of people thought that uh, he was going to turn bad at this point. He was going to become a villain. Hmm. Um, and so, But instead, he takes the role of Red Robin, which I think was playing homage to Kingdom Come. Yeah. And... Uh, it definitely because yeah, it's a similar costume, right? Almost exactly, and yeah. it's worth saying too. It's not so far from the Robin, co you know. It's no, not. It's no, not. It's, it's not like. It's not like it's now purple and blue or something. It's. No, it's. No. It's. A, it's in it's like the cowl. same. Yeah. Same designer worked it out, I think, but uh, it is different. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we have to get him walking down the red carpet so we can ask him. Yeah. Um, now, in his title, which is Red Robin, he is a. Uh, He's actually uh, searching the globe, looking for evidence of uh, Bruce being alive. Still, he's got a he's got a niggling feeling that he is still alive. Um, also, during this time, Stephanie Brown takes over the uh, the role of Batgirl. She was originally spoiler, and uh, she works under the direction of Barbara Gordon, who was Oracle at the time. And uh, for all that matters, but it was a a pretty good run, and uh, yeah, one of those runs that was criminally cut short by the uh, Flashpoint New Fifty Two. It was, yeah. I, I just like it, but it really it doesn't really figure into this uh, whole Bruce yeah, Wayne nice death or anything. But it's a nice, comfortable read. Yeah. It is. It's cool, and it, they, for some reason the trades are real hard to get, but uh, it's mm. uh, worth looking at if you can get it for cheap. Then there was the return of Bruce Wayne. We didn't think he was really dead, did we? I mean, let's get no. real. It turns out that the Omega Sanction, or the Omega Beams, whatever it was, they sent Bruce Wayne back to the prehistoric past, and he has to kind of claw his way back to the present, leaping forward in time during lunar eclipses, and at one point even leaping to the very end of the universe. Because uh, that was even hinted at on the very last page of Final Crisis. It was, I know, yeah. It, we, you see that uh, it's Anthro, right? The, the cave boy sees... The first boy, yeah. ...sees uh, the Batman symbol in a cave, and the costume, yeah. It's. I mean, what's crazy is Grant Morrison had all this worked out at some point, you know. We got the groundwork for a lot of what we're seeing was laid issues and issues, you know, a hundred issues before. So, uh, this then September 2011 happened, then, uh, yeah, it all got wiped away <laughs> and made pointless. Um, anyway, but this series, first of all, Vandal Savage is involved and it sort of follows him through history. But, uh, this puts Bruce Wayne in a bunch of different scenarios, like he's a pirate and he's a 1930s smart detective, he's also in. Puritan times, Pilgrim, it's yeah, yeah it, it's it's pretty good, and uh, it also had a kind of a sister miniseries called Time Masters: Vanishing Point uh, by Chris's close personal friend Dan Jurgens. This <laughs> ran concurrent with Bruce Wayne's return, and this was sort of this was a group of heroes led by Rip Hunter. I believe Superman was in there, right, and a couple other guys. Superman, Booster, Booster, Gold, Booster Dick, was in uh, there. Dick Grayson, yeah. Um, and they were attempting to find the Batman as he was shuffling through time. And there's more to it. There's a whole thing where there's a Hunter killer chasing him that's going to destroy the present, yeah. but you really got you're gonna to have to read it to even get a clue. 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, now, when uh, when Bruce does finally return, uh, he uh, decides that he can't take he can't do this crusade alone, and he sets up something he called Batman Incorporated, which establishes and funds Batman in other countries. Kind of like the Batman of all nations. Hey, brought that back. I, I was this whole thing though, where like and he, this happens perennially, where Batman says, "I can't do this alone. I need help." Well, mm-hmm. you only have like freaking twenty kids on your team. You know what I mean? Like what? Who you, you got so much damn help? I'm surprised you're not sending people on layoff. You know, just yes. like sorry, we can't support you anymore. <laughs> now, as far as the Batman of Zer and R, I want to talk about this. Is actually one of my favorite Silver Age Batman stories. It's called mm-hmm. the Batman, the Superman of Planet X. This was in Batman 113, February 1958, written by Ed Heron, penciled by the great Dick Dick Sprang. And in the same book, by the way, was another story called Batman Meets Fat Man. I'll leave leave you up to find out what that's about. (laughs) Uh, In this story, the Batman of Planet Planet X named Tlano summons Earth's Batman to Planet X to defeat some robots. On that planet, Batman has all the basic Superman powers. Um... This Batman of Planet X, though, he essentially dressed like the Batman of Zert and R in kind of a purple tunic or whatever, the red tunic with yellow arms and a purple cape. That's sort of his look. Uh, Batman wakes up from this thinking that it must have been a dream, but in his hand is the Bat Radio device given to him by Tlano. It's sort of difficult to say what the Bat Radio does. In the comic, it counters the robot's weapons, but it also seems to be a communication device. It sort of is like a catch-all MacGuffin. I'm not sure what the deal is. Um, and it's important to say that Tlano's costume, even though it looks similar to the one from the Grant Morrison Batman, it's not actually made of garbage, so it is uh, a little more nice. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't smell quite as bad. Uh, before we wrap up, wanted to uh, maybe discuss uh, Dr. Simon Hurt a little bit, because I don't think we're going to be touching on him, at least at this level again. No. Um, we have a quote here from uh, Grant Morrison on Dr. Hurt that appeared in Wizard Magazine, issue number 211, uh, May 2009. He says, there's a doctor who got some good lines in the original story, Robin Dies at Dawn, and he's never named. I thought, what if he's a bad guy? That became Dr. Hurt. I thought, wow, there was a guy who had access to Batman's psychology for 10 days? That's my villain. I also thought it was a way to sort of reinvigorate those old stories as a service to DC, uh, to sell to sell some more of the older books and collections. So that's what he thought on mm. that. Um, of the uh, of the theories we have here, of course, Mangrove Pierce, the actor who starred in the film The Black Love, who also acted as a stand-in for both Thomas Wayne and Bruce Wayne at different points in time. Uh, when he's confronted with it, Hurt denies it. Uh, he claimed, like you said earlier, he claims to have skinned him alive and wore him to a party. Yeah. So. Uh, but this is Bruce's idea. This this is Bruce is yeah. saying this is true. So this is the top theory, I would say. Yes, absolutely. And uh, usually when it's discussed online, that's usually the theory that people have, even though it hasn't been 100% confirmed. And at this point, I we don't even know if this even happened. No. So. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, another one is that it actually is Thomas Wayne. Uh, now, of course, this is who Hurt claimed to be, and at the time of publication, many posited that Hurt was uh, was a uh, a demon called Barbathos yeah. who manipulated Thomas Wayne, which would either be the real deal, you know, current Thomas Wayne, or one from the 18th century. 
Uh, Barbathos' story was told during a three-part Peter Milligan story called Dark Knight, Dark City, which ran from Batman 252 to 254 in August through September 1990. Uh, It was called Barbados there. Uh, He was a demon sealed in Gotham City during the days of a revolutionary war. In fact, Thomas Jefferson was actually personally involved with the sect who worshipped it. That figures. This sort of touched (laughs) on a little bit, too, in the uh, death of Bruce Wayne during that pilgrim section. Mm -hmm. Um, Another theory, though, is that he is Thomas Wayne Jr., Batman's big brother. First appeared in World's uh, World's Finest number 223, June 1974. Creation of Zany Bob Haney, who who due to a severe head injury, spent most of his time institutionalized at Willowwood Asylum. He would emerge as a as the supervillain, the Boomerang Killer, but would die valiantly less than a year later to save his brother's life. That would be in World's Finest 227 in February 1975. And uh, this was a weird story. You know, Dead Man is there and probably need yeah. to say no more about it. Uh, <laughs> folks thought this was a possibility due to Hurt referring, referring to himself as an evil twin. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Another one was Bruce Wayne himself, which is a stupid theory, but it was out there. Seems unlikely, unless there was you know a, a mirror on the roof of the asylum in that last scene, but maybe, I don't know. <laughs> it might have been, it might yeah. have been, or, or holograms. It's something, it that's true, it is comics. <laughs> and uh, one theory is that it's just a dude named Simon Hurt. Uh, just some guy who can play some badass mind games with the world's greatest detective. Well, then those are the floating theories, and you know we've got our own ideas, but we'd love to know who you think Simon Hurt is and what you think of this uh, series and what you thought of Grant Morrison on Batman. And you can let us know at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find our writing every week on weirdsciencedccomics.com. You hit me up on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. And every single day, you got to go check out Chris's personal blog. Chris is on infiniteearth.blogspot.com, where he reviews a new DC comic every day. He reviewed a great one today. Uh, DC yes. Comics presents 85. Is that the number? That's the one. Uh, Alan Moore, Swamp Thing, Superman. You can't beat it if you're not reading great story. it. You're messing up. It's, uh, it was really well done. Uh, but I think that's all we got for him this week. You got anything else for him, Chris? I think that'll do it. Well, uh, until next week, I'd like you to keep it on the treadmill eternally. I hold the mic like niggas hold it girls type, but I ain't at the hook. I be your actor with Pearl White, the hook or not. And many times I done hit it, just be specific more times and dimes than a prisoner. When you broke north, I crashed the barbecue like Riddick at the Garden True. That's the Garden Me, pardon you. Cheapers, I was told back the whole game access to my beeper. Call back my secretary gatekeeper, like I ain't peeper. I said, darling, you was stupid though, you know the super villain. Home. I had this style ever since I was a child I got this other style, I ain't flippin' a while It goes, your scientific intelligence With one point of relevance MCs who styles need elements And once the smoke clear, tell them it's The super motherfucking villain Nigga can't do war like the elements On 99 plus one of them And with a flow to pull a fraud Nigga foul from out in front of him When we were tall, we had tons of fun